Good morning. God bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, again, thank you. I was here uh, maybe seven weeks ago. So it's a blessing to be back. And I was done by 11.15. I'm going to try to do that again. So, um, I, you know, I, I just want to thank God for, for your worship team. What a, you guys are so blessed to have what a wonderful worship team, right? I mean, last time and today, I, my, my, my heart is truly ref, refreshed this morning, I mean, through the worship. And so, uh, it's, and it's a blessing to preach after such, you know, blessed worship. So, thank you for the worship team. And I also want to thank God. I've been praying for you guys since the last time I was here. I know you're in transition, seeking a new pastor, Sounds like the church is being very uh, diligent and discerning and wise and making sure they select the person that God has called, that God is sending here. And so, but thank God for Pastor Mike and the elders who also are doing a good job in holding everything together during transition. I know that's not easy. I've been a part of transitions. And so probably most people don't know the effort and what it takes to sustain a church during transitional time. So thank you, Pastor Mike and the elders. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for them too. So I mentioned it before, I'm a retired military, I retired from the Air Force after 20 years. Uh, you don't have to make jokes about how the Air Force is the, is the gentlest uh, military branch, I've heard them all already. And so, and I'm not going to be condescending because I'm in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force, and condescending means uh, talk down to, okay, just, so, just in case you didn't know. Um, just joking, just a military joke. Also been in ministry, been pre somebody asked me this morning how long I've been preaching, don't really think about that, but it's been over 25 years, so God has blessed me to uh, preach his word for t over 25 years, and I just transitioned out of pastoring as well, so the church I just left, transitioned out of, is also going through the same thing. That's why I know it takes a great effort to do this, so praise the Lord. But I want to ask you to open with me in your Bibles today to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 29, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 29, and whenever I get the opportunity to teach or preach out of Ecclesiastes, I always think of my oldest son, John Jr. He, his favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes. The first time he told me that, I kind of wondered uh, why this book, but uh, have, so I, I kind of, when I read through my Bible, when I read through it in my Bible plan this year, and I went through it, and I was like, there's a lot of gold in here. There's a lot of riches in this book, so it's going to it's going to be a blessing to be in here today. My, my son is uh, currently on active duty Air Force as well, kind of many times military could be a generational thing. And so my son's got 11 years on active duty Air Force, and um, he's actually currently studying for his Master's of Divinity. His goal is to be a chaplain in the Air Force. And so uh, I just thank God for uh, what he's doing in my son's life as well. So Ecclesiastes, I'm just going to read one verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. Uh, do you have it? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it from the ESV. I'm gonna make mention of another uh, translation for the last part of the verse, just because I think it has an interesting twist to it. So Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, See, this alone I found. Of course, King Solomon's uh, the writer of this book, and so these are his words. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright. But they, meaning man, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Other versions say have sought out evil schemes. And then I don't 
probably think there's too many people who read the contemporary English version, but just, just I looked it up, you know, in, in a uh, list of translations. Contemporary version says, but now we have twisted minds. God made us upright, but now we have twisted minds. And I just thought that was, there was, a, there was a little twist to that, that I just thought, oh, that's contemporary language, but it's interesting, uh, interesting translation and makes sense in some ways. So when I was younger, and that was a long time ago, when I was younger, there was a popular song that contained these lyrics. Some of you may remember them. And so it's, it goes this way. And I'm definitely not on the level of the worship team. Singing's not my, my gift. So I'm kind of, kind of say it, not sing it. Sweet dreams are made of these. Who am I to disagree? Anybody remember this song? Uh-huh. Sweet dreams are made of these. Who am I to disagree? Travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody is looking for something. Now, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that that song was inspired. I'm just trying to pull the truth out of there. That everybody is looking for something. Let's uh, bow our heads together and pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful to be in your house. I'm so grateful uh, for Grace Church and what you're doing in this place, Lord. We know you have a purpose and a plan for them to be a blessing to, uh, to this community. Lord, we ask as we, as we uh, teach from your word, as we go through your word today, that you will speak to our hearts. I pray that every heart in this place would be good soil, soil on which the seed of your word would land, that you'll be glorified through the proclamation of the gospel. We love you and thank you for what you'll say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. So the song ends, everybody's looking for something. Now, in all seriousness, this song unfolds what, what is deep within the heart of every living person. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody indeed is looking for something. I remember as a 17-year-old not knowing what I was going to do when I graduated high school. That's why I went to the military because I was looking for something. I was looking for some significance, some purpose. I didn't know what to do. I was looking for something. Now, the way it displays itself in every, everybody's heart from person to person is, is very different. From the business person on Wall Street trying to climb the executive ladder to the school teacher to the construction worker and so on, it manifests itself in different ways. But we all, all are looking for something. We, we are all facing the same issue. We're looking for something. And what is that something that we're looking for? What was that something that Sinead O'Connor was talking about? It's fulfillment and self-satisfaction. We're all looking for fulfillment and self-satisfaction in some way. Now, the great theologian Augustine said it best back in the fourth century. He said of the Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Anybody familiar with that quote? Beautiful quote. Our heart is restless until we find rest in God. I'm going to read the quote one more time. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Until we find rest in God, our heart is restless. See, 
Augustine knew that if we do not seek rest in God who made us, we would look for it in countless other places. In fact, he's known for seeking fulfillment and satisfaction apart from God before he was saved. And so he knew that each and every one of us would be seeking satisfaction and fulfillment in different places. Now, there's one person in the Bible that I want to refer to. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he had a lot of questions. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you see that there's a lot of things that he did in his life that he was looking for satisfaction. And when he writes Ecclesiastes, it's kind of towards the end of his life. He's telling us, I looked for it everywhere and I couldn't find it. I looked everywhere. He tried everything. And he had a lot more resources than you or I could ever have. And he used them all to find satisfaction and fulfillment, yet he didn't find it. In the book of Proverbs, we, we, we gain his wisdom. So Song of Solomon's known for when he's young. It's a, it's a book about young love, and he's a younger man. Then uh, Proverbs is kind of more in the middle of his life, where he's now he's sharing wisdom with us. And Ecclesiastes is now a, a book in the scriptures that looks back on his life. And he's, telling, he's saying, you name it, I tried it. And let me tell you, there's nothing new under the sun, and there's no satisfaction in any of it. And so we're gonna, I'm going to just mention a couple things about Solomon to try to get a picture of who he was. Now, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14 through 29, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to kind of summarize it. But it tells us about Solomon's wealth, King Solomon's wealth, King Solomon being the son of King David. To sum it up, verse 23 and 25 say, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And that's what he's known for, for being very rich and very wise. It says, the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. And every one of them, when they came to him, they brought him presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses and mules, and so much. And this happened year after year. Now, despite all the fame, all the accolades, all that all the acclaim that Solomon had received, he still sought out more pleasure. None of those things satisfied him. Imagine being the person that everybody sought out to be their life coach. And you're helping everybody be successful, yet there's something inside you that says, I'm still empty. Imagine being the richest guy, being the, 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 uh, and the, the richest, wealthiest man in the world, the, the Bill Gates of your day or the Jeff Bezos of your day at the top of the wealthiest people list, still feeling empty inside. Imagine achieving your educational goals, your financial goals, and every goal that you set, just being successful and exceeding, yet feeling empty inside. This is what King Solomon felt. Despite all that acclaim, he still would seek out more and more pleasure. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4 through 11, key verse in, in that passage, King Solomon said of himself, he said, whatever my eyes desi- desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep. There wasn't a pleasure that he looked upon and desired that he did not take unto himself. Then he says, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and he achieved a lot, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, he says, his conclusion in Ecclesiastes, the, the, uh, the, the, the key verse in that whole book, he says, indeed, all was vanity and grasping the wind. And you can't grasp wind, right? He says it was grasping the wind. There was no profit under the sun. 
There's no prophet, he said. Solomon had everything you can imagine. Yet he still comes to the conclusion he was still dissatisfied. He was still unfulfilled. He was empty. He's saying, I did it all. I tried it all. I bought it all. You name it, I did it. Any pleasure you can imagine, I tried it. And in the end, he says, I'm unfulfilled. I'm dissatisfied. I'm empty. Again, Ecclesiastes 7, 29. This, see, this alone, I found that God made man upright, or some versions say God created man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. My first point today in the message is God. Just one word. That's my first point. God. Why is it God? Because everything begins with God. I said everything begins with God. That'd be a good time to say amen. It all begins with God. See this alone, I found God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whatever, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is so true. What do you think of when you think of God? What, what comes to your mind when you think of God? Amen. Love. Everyone has a concept of God. I remember one Bible professor saying that every one of us is a theologian. Every one of us, every believer is a theologian. In fact, every person, he said, could be considered a theologian because we all have an opinion. We all have a thought who we, who we believe God is. We might have faulty theology, but we're all theologians in that we all have our own perspective, our own beliefs on, on who God is. Now, where do we go to find really the truth about who God is? Of course, from his word from his word, but everybody has a concept of God. Even the staunchest atheist is lying to himself and lying to you when he says that he does not believe in God. How do we know this? How can I say this with certainty? How do we know that, this, that a staunch atheist has some form of belief in God? We know this from the scriptures. Romans 1, 18 and 19 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, so speaking of the unbeliever, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. Right? You cannot look at creation. You cannot look. I was driving in today to Hollister. You cannot, I was looking at those beautiful mountains, and I was like, what a beautiful backdrop. You know, I used to live, I grew up in San Francisco. And we were kind of in the hills. We lived in an apartment in the hills, and my whole life, I played baseball on the street, and we could see the bay, and I can remember we'd pitch, I'd pitch on the street, and behind the batter on the street where we were playing baseball was the bay, and these big cargo ships would be going by, and I, and I never, like, realized, man, I live on the street where I'm playing baseball, and I can see the bay area. Millions of people come from all over the world to this place, and I can see the bay from my street, and I never even really appreciated it, right? I'm, dri I'm driving into Hollister, and I'm seeing all these beautiful, and these beautiful mountains, and I'm just like, what a beautiful backdrop, appreciating it. And you can't look at those mountains. You can't look at the bay. You can't look at the ocean. You can't look at all the beautiful creation that surrounds us and not conclude, this is not an accident. This, this is by design. And if it's by design, then there's a designer. And who is this designer? His name is God. 
His name is God. And Romans says, for what could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. And so if they don't know or say they don't believe, it's because they don't want to believe. Jesus says in, in John 15, people hate him because, because he convicts them. He tells them that they're sinners, that they have sin, and that they need to repent. And I was reading this morning. I was just reading through my, my, my daily reading plan. And I'm reading John, and, and I'm, I'm reading about how Jesus said, hey, man, people are going to hate you because they hate me. Hey, there, you know, there's just going to be places, spaces that we're going to find ourselves in where people aren't going to appreciate us because of our, our faith, because of our Christianity, our belief in Christ. But that's okay. Jesus forewarned us so that we'd be okay. And you know what he, he taught us in that chapter? This is kind of side notes out of my, not, not what I prepared. But he, what's really going to keep us is his, his word and his love. If you abide in me, you abide in my word, you abide in my love. He proceeds with the, this abiding, this dwelling. If you stay with me, be with me, uh, remain in me, then when, when hatred comes, it's that love and that abiding in God and his word that will keep us. It's okay. And in fact, you might even say it's a compliment that you're doing something right in your faith if somebody actually hates you. Jesus said they hated me. And who, was, who was more gracious, more loving, more benevolent, compassionate, merciful, good than Jesus? Yet they hated him. How dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath? Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. That was created for man. Rest. And you hate me for that? No, you just want to hate me. You just want to hate me. Jesus said, for which one of my good works do you hate me? Which, what, what, what healing? Oh, the blind guy? You hate me for healing a blind guy? Oh, a guy with leprosy? Oh, you hate me for that? Wow. You know, what's, is that really valid? No. Hey, if they hate us, it's okay. They hated Jesus. We're just following in good footsteps. Amen. So, so really, there's no one that doesn't can just say I'm 100% void of any belief in God. God says that he made it plain to men that he exists. But by our own unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We're actively suppressing the truth when we say don't, we don't believe in God. We suppress the truth of a living God and exchange it for a lie. Literally exchanging the truth for a lie. Now, this is called idolatry. When we think idolatry, many times we can think of the Old Testament and people, pagans bowing down before a statue. But idolatry is just as prevalent today as it was in biblical times. I said idolatry is just as prevalent today as it was in biblical times. See, the only difference today is that most of our idols are in our hearts. They're in our hearts. They're not statues. I don't think anybody in this room goes home and bows to a statue. I know uh, in one faith they have a statue and people put donuts in front of it. You know, they, none of us are putting donuts in front of statues of a guy with, a, with a extra girth in his midsection, right? None of us are doing that, I don't think. Our idols are in our hearts. And so that, that's, that's even a little, it's a little more dangerous in some ways, right? They're in our hearts so we can hide them better. Now, uh, uh, any of us, out of love for each other, if I were to see you bound down to a statue, I'd say, brother, sister, that's, you're violating the scriptures. You should make no first, you know, command, ten commandments. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, fashion images after who God is. 
right? And in love, we'd, we'd, we'd uh, encourage each other and uh, warn each other about those things. But the idols in your heart are so much easier to conceal. They're so much easier to conceal, and so that makes them more dangerous in many ways. It, it is, and it's true. It's true. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander. Indeed, our hearts are, as John Calvin said, idol-making factories. Then it's of the utmost importance, then, if that's true, that our hearts are prone to wander and idol-making factories, it's really important that we understand who God is. And how can we know this? In the only, there's only one place that I know of, the only inerrant book in the history of the world. You know what I'm speaking of, right? The scriptures, the Bible, the holy word of God, where God, if we want to understand them, we need to know that this is the one place we can go where God has perfectly revealed himself to us. His word. Scripture is our highest authority in life. If my opinion or your opinion contradicts scripture, guess who's wrong? Us. It's the highest authority in our lives. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when it says scripture is breathed out by God, it's a, in the Greek, the word is theonoustos. Theonoustos. And it literally means that God has breathed, breathed his breath, his life into the scriptures. This means that the scriptures are inspired by God. And if God is a perfect God, then if he inspired his word, then that means his word is perfect. His word is perfect. This is a truth that's being challenged in America and by many theologians and now denominations who are, who are once conservative and trusted and relied 100% on the scriptures to be inerrant, without error. Now that that's being challenged. But I'm telling you, this is what the church has stood by since Christ resurrected and ascended back to heaven. Over the next few centuries, as the scriptures were compiled, tested, proven by the church, what, what, was, of the Holy, what was inspired by the Holy Spirit and what wasn't. Some, some books were good books, but they determined, the church fathers determined, this is, this is the inspired word of God that we are to live by. And the church has lived by. And anybody who challenges that, I, I encourage you to challenge them. Because this is the inerrant, without error, word of God. And we can stake our lives on it. See, the scriptures are breathed out by God. Literally contain his breath. His breath gives it life. In turn, the scriptures in turn give us life. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are truth. See, we hear these phrases nowadays. Oh, his truth. Oh, her truth. Oh, my truth. No, no. There's one truth. My truth can be wrong. Your truth. You're just saying, this is how I subjectively feel about this situation in my not even humble opinion. I-M-O, not I-M-H-O, but I-M-O, in my opinion. No, that's just what you want to do. You're just, that's your truth because that's what you want to do. You don't care what God thinks about it. Let's just be honest. You don't have your own truth. Everybody doesn't have a truth. How could we live that way if we always have our own subjective truth? This is the truth. The word of God is the truth. 
We can stake our life on it. So his words are spirit and they are truth. If God breathed life into it, then it's perfect and we can trust our lives to it. Study, I encourage you, study it and watch your faith and your relationship with God grow. Abide in his word, dwell in his word, remain in his word every day. I remember this story of D.L. Moody. He used to, everybody, anybody heard of D.L. Moody, evangelist, pastor from many, many years ago, has, still has a Bible college in, um, in Chicago. He used to carry a Bible with him wherever he went. And so he would tell people when he preached and he taught, he said, I carry a Bible with me wherever I go. Every chance I get, if I'm in a waiting room at a doctor's office, he said, I, I'm reading my Bible. So one day, uh, D.L. Moody was at the YMCA. And he had, uh, and see, he must have, he is exercising or something or in the swimming pool or sauna. And so he's done with his time in the gym and he's kind of going back to the locker and he's in a robe. And so one brother that had heard him speak before said, D.L. Moody, you said you always have a Bible with you. Where's your Bible right now, uh, Mr. Moody? And, he, and he, pulled, he pulled a little New Testament out of his pocket in his robe and he had it with him. See, D.L. Moody valued the word of God. He said, now us, now what about us? He carried a little pocket New Testament. We all have a, we all have a Bible on us everywhere we go, right? Who leaves, who leaves home without their phone? We all have a, just like D.L. Moody now, been built into our life. We all have a, a Bible on us. You got a few minutes. You can, you can read it. You can listen to it. I mean, how many options do we have? Bible app that has reading plans. Anything you could think of, there's Bible reading plans. It, it's wonderful. We're blessed in that way. I think if we can redeem technology, some good things can come from it, right? It's when we misuse it uh, that it becomes a problem. Point number two, God made or God created man upright. So when God created us, he created us to be upright, righteous, holy, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then we jump to verse 31, God, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Interesting point, uh, the, first, the first five days when God created everything, he said, it's good. But then when he created man, he said, it's very good. When he saw us, he's like, it's very good. He was most pleased with us. We are, we are considered the pinnacle of his creation, created in, him, in his image. It was very good. Why was it very good? Because there was no sin at that time. When God created man, he created him upright. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no heartache, no pain. God created man perfectly in his image. You are created in the image of God. You and I, look at your neighbor and say, you're created in the image of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're created in the image of God. What a beautiful thing. The Imago Dei, right? We're created in the image of God. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 7, and we get one more insight into how God created man. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. I'm going to read that again. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed. Into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now notice the, the, the vivid imagery, right? Dust must have gathered together and breathes life. It gives breath and breathes life into him. Man is made from lifeless dust. Man is made from lifeless dust. We are of the earth. How God created us. We, we receive our life and worth from the breath of God within us. How beautiful. We, we live this life because God's breath 
is within us. Now, does this imagery uh, of God breathing into the dust of the ground sound a little familiar? Where do we just read about God breathing into? The scriptures. The scriptures. There are two things in the Bible that God breathes into. Scriptures and human beings. Only two things. Scriptures and human beings. You and I, you and I are alive right here sitting in Grace Church, Grace Bible Church in Hollister, California, because God has willed it and given us the breath to live this life. You and I are alive right now and sitting in Grace Bible Church in Hollister, California, because God is willing it. He, we take our every breath by his decree. So even, even the, it's because God has allowed it. So he has created man upright. My third point, I'm final. The description of man is different. God created us upright, right? Adam and Eve created upright, breathed life into us. Breathe life into scriptures, breathe life into us. It says they have sought out many schemes. When God creates Adam and Eve, as I said, he made them sinless. No sin, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness. Adam was God's image bearer and his steward over the earth. And God gave them one command to keep. Just one, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You can eat from every tree. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For, the, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Guess what they did? They ate of the tree that day. And God said, one, one command. And sometimes people say, if it was me, I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have eaten a bunch of, yeah, you would have eaten from the tree. Yeah, you would have. So would I would have eaten it, you would have. I would have been like, what's so good? Right, our instinct is, what's so good about that that you're trying to keep it from me? No, it, it wasn't that. One command. By Genesis 3, we read that Adam and Eve ate from the tree and broke God's law. That only command that he gave, they broke it. So, and some ask, what's the big deal? They ate a piece of fruit. Yeah, we can, we can minimize our sin and say, what's the big deal? Nobody found out. What's the big deal? I'm by myself. What's the big? No, you're violating God's law. You're, you're not obeying our creator. There, it is a big deal. You know, every, listen to everybody here. Whenever we compromise truth, whenever we compromise God's word, whenever we compromise a command from God, every time we do that, it makes it easier the next time. And no, nobody, nobody, you know, takes their first step into the egregious, all-out sin and darkness. No, it's usually one step at a time. And when it becomes, the, oh, nobody found out. Oh, nobody saw. Oh, nobody said anything. Oh, no one will know the better. Next thing you know, you're lost in darkness. It's how every, how every. Sin starts out, sin that's egregious and leading us to death, death of marriages, death of relationships, death in our finances, in our relationship. It all begins with little, little compromises, little, dis feels like little disobedience. Oh, no, uh, my, uh, the brother, the other brother of the church, oh, man, he does this, this, and this. 
No, we don't live our life in comparison to each other. Well, my sin's less than his sin. No, we compare our lives to Christ. If it doesn't match up, then, then we're falling short, right? We all, Romans 3.23, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We should never take our sin lightly. Our sin put the Son of God on the cross. He put, we sang about his blood. He shed his blood for our sins. That means he gave his life. That means it's a big deal. And just because it cost him, and he, it cost him everything, and he gave it to us for free doesn't mean it's not valuable. It's still the most valuable thing. Sin is nothing to be played with. Sin, little compromises make it easier and easier. So it is a big deal. All they did was eat a piece of fruit. All they did. We have to understand. Think about their environment. Adam and Eve experienced nothing but flourishing and bliss from the hand of God up to that point. Life was great. So for them, see, because we live in a fallen world full of sin, we, we have to live with the sin that's in us now, right? Uh, David said in the Psalms, in sin you did conceive me. So when we were born, we were already, we were already bent that way. They weren't living in, the, in this world, right? So all they knew was the goodness of God fellowship with God, walked with God in the cool of the day. A thousand trees to eat from just one was prohibited. They, all they knew was God's goodness and love. So to disobey God in the garden was divine treason. It was divine treason. I mean, and you know, and we, we didn't live in that environment, that atmosphere, a garden where no sin, sickness, death existed. And man, how good has God been to us? When we were singing about the goodness of God today, man, I was, I was getting emotional. I'm like, man, God, you have been so good to me. I'm not saying life's been perfect. If perfect's the measure, then of course. That it, it, none of us will experience that. We live in the fallen world. But man, in the midst of all this darkness, sin, death, hasn't God been... The fact that you're here this morning speaks of his goodness, that you have a, a place to worship God and, and sit under worship by a worship team and, 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 and we can receive the word of God into our, and, and how many things, I bet, I bet if I was to interview every person in here, you could give me countless stories of how God, is, how God has been good to you. Countless, and even in the hard times, difficult times, challenging times, how he kept us through I've experienced death. I've experienced sickness. I've experienced in my, in my family, in my life, difficult times. I, I, everything from poverty to anything else as a young man. And, man, God has kept us. God has kept us. We have to count our blessings and be appreciative, always be grateful. You know what keeps bitterness out of our hearts is, is, a, is a heart and a spirit of gratitude. If you're focused on the good things of God, the good things you've done in your life, it's so much more difficult for bitterness to grab root. It's a root. Bitterness literally can be a root, Hebrew says. So to disobey him was, was divine treason. So they rebelled against God's gracious rule. In essence, they're saying, and we're saying when we disobey God's word, we know better than you. We know better than you. That's what we're saying. As a result, God judged man and the whole earth. Now all we have ever known has been under the curse, right? We've been, that's all we know. Things are not supposed to be this way. When God created man upright, 
Things are not supposed to be this way. Have you ever had a stomachache? Have you ever had to lock your door? This is not the way things are supposed to be, right? But we do these things because we're in a fallen world. Sin, sorrow, and pain as a result of the fall, the fall being when Adam and Eve sinned. God made man upright, but he has sought out many schemes. So what are we to do? What, what, is our, what, what do we come to? What, so what do we do with this that we've just been handled? God created us upright, but man has sought out many schemes, evil schemes. We have twisted minds when it comes to this stuff sometimes. The only thing I know to do, I've mentioned abiding in Jesus, is, is to look unto Jesus. We have to look unto Jesus, constantly look unto Jesus. I don't know, sometimes I see people who don't know God, who don't, haven't, haven't surrendered their lives to Christ, and I don't know sometimes how they can make it in this world. I don't understand how they can deal with tragedy, and you can see many, peace escapes them. Uh, you know, strength escapes them and turn to things that often can make things worse. And I just look at my life and I'm so grateful, God, you've been good. And I don't know how I could have made it this far if it had not been for you. How, how do we deal with the death of a loved one, with the enduring sickness of somebody? You ever had a child that's sick? There's nothing more painful for a parent, I believe, than seeing your, other, uh, uh, other than seeing them sick and God forbid anything else. It just, it hurts. It, it, it hurts. For me, it's hurt more than my own pain and sickness and suffering, right? Because our children, what, we, they're so precious to us. Look unto Jesus. The church, there's so many doctrines, teachings. There's, now uh, with the phone, we have our, our Bible always with us, but we always have. Now we can listen to a hundred different preachers with a hundred different opinions, and, and we, can, you know, we can find advice on YouTube. And my mother-in-law keeps looking up medical advice on YouTube videos, and we're just like, you're not going to work. And you ended up, you got an ER two times now because you did that. It's like, why did we give her an iPhone? We should have maybe never did that. We thought she was going to FaceTime her family in Mexico, but now she's looking up medical advice from witch doctors in Haiti for medical. So it's just like, please, please don't do that. Look unto Jesus. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. What are ruined sinners like us to do? Look to Jesus. If you took in your eyes off of Jesus... Do everything you can to put them back on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the beginner and the completer of our faith. It all starts there. See, Jesus came and lived the perfect life that no other man could in our broken and falling world. Adam, I mentioned Adam. Adam failed to obey God. Only one command and he couldn't keep it. And therefore, through his sin, we were made sinners. But Jesus, somebody say, but Jesus. But Jesus came and perfectly obeyed God's law so that we could be made righteous. We are righteous in him, imputed righteousness, counted unto us. When God sees us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Earlier I said it all begins with God, right? That was my first point, God. It all begins with God. It also all ends with God. He's the alpha and the omega, that's in the English language, it's the equivalent of saying he's the A to the Z. He's the alpha and the omega. It also ends with God. Look to him. 
Repent, trust Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We should never forget the ascension to cover all your sins. He has earned us a place in God's eternal kingdom. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Lord, we, Lord we're so blessed to be in your house. There's just a, a wonderful peace here in your presence. Lord, we always leave your presence better. And so we're so grateful that you're with us. You, you, uh, you are in the midst of your people. Lord, everything begins with you. Everything ends with you. You created us upright. And Lord, in starting with Adam and every person after, we proved that, uh, Lord, we, we devise schemes. But you have sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Washed away our sins in his precious blood. He died, he resurrected on the third day, and he ascended back to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God. As our great and compassionate high priest who lives to make intercession for us. And because he lives, we too shall live. And everything that you intended for us in the beginning, when you created man upright, Lord, you intend for us in the future when you come back for us. And there's a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, if any of us are falling short, any of us have taken our eyes off of you, Lord, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we repent and draw our eyes, our, our sight back unto Jesus. May we abide in, in him, abide in his word, and in his love that we might bear much fruit and bring much glory to your name. We love you and thank you as we leave this place when we carry your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray together and say amen. May I give you a benediction, please. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he bless you indeed in larger territory, that his hand be with you, that he'd keep you from evil and allow you to cause no harm for his name's sake and for his glory. May you shine the light of his glory brighter than ever before as you go out onto this world. In Jesus' name we agree and pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.